tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. And welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who I am. You know who I am, and you know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Rock. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for another. Very important episode. Joining me, as always, is my partner in crime, the man, the myth, the legend, the Giraffe King, XG, Xavier Guerrero. What's up, boss? And on the ones and twos, you never see him, but you know and you love him. Everyone says he's a great addition to the show. I tell them, don't let his head get too big. I'll fire him, too. Please welcome Johnny Woodard, everybody. What's up, man? How's it going? Guys, this is the week. We got some big shows coming up. We will be live. At Hyenas Comedy Club in Fort Worth, myself, XG, and our good friend Eddie Bravo. That's a uh, uh, January twenty fourth at eight p.m. at Hyenas in Fort Worth. You can grab those tickets, and then we also the next day at a four twenty show or a four thirty show, we will be live at Bricktown Comedy Club in OKC, Oklahoma. Back-to-back shows. We're bringing all the shirts you love. And if you can't make those shows and you want to get some shirts, go to tinfoilhattshirts.com. All the shirts are there. They're selling like hotcakes. Great way to support the show. And then we also have the Patreon is on fire, everybody. Patreon.com backslash tinfoilhat. What else have I... Did I forget anything at all? Yeah. Uh, Again, uh, you can see all my specials, my comedy specials at Sam Tripoli. Dot com. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Omax Cryofreeze. Everybody, listen to me, man. As you know, I've been getting ready for the apocalypse that is coming. So I've been starting to take Krav Maga and axe throwing, okay? And the Krav Maga, I'm pushing my body hard. And sometimes I come back a little sore. So you know what I want? I don't want to get on the pharmaceutical stuff. I don't want to be hooked on that Oxycon. I want to do it all natural. So what do I do? I go to my good friends at Omax Health. That's right. If you go to omaxhealth.com, Today and enter the promo code Tinfoil Hat. That's O M A X Health.com. Enter the promo enter the promo code Tinfoil Hat. You will get 20% off all cryofreeze and statewide products. Cryofreeze is C B D driven, okay? My legs were hurting really bad the other day. I took the cryofreeze roll on and I put it on my legs. Boom! Felt like a million dollars. Made me feel way better. It was easy for me to walk. These guys saw me. I was walking around like a stiff Lego man. Not anymore, brother. Thanks to our good friends at CryoFreeze and their C uh, Omax. That's OmaxHealth.com. Use the promo code TINFOILHAT. Pro athletes are using it. Golfers, uh, jujitsu guys. I gave it some to Eddie Bravo. Dudes who don't do. uh, what's his name? Uh, Joey Diaz does it. You know, he uses he uses CBD. These are the best. I didn't believe it at first, but I tried it, and yes, Cryo Freeze is the best. Go to uh, Omax Cryo Freeze. Go to Omax Health. That's O M A X Health dot com. 
Enter the pro, enter the code tinfoil hat, and you'll get 20% off all cryo freeze and statewide. I recommend it because I use it, and uh, I've learned, I've used a lot of our sponsor stuff, and this is by far the best stuff we've had. Guys, that's the uh, that's 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 paying the bills. Uh, I am very excited to have this gentleman on. I've been following him on Twitter, social media. I've been watching his periscopes, and I think what this guy's doing is probably some of the most important. Uh, videos, lessons that you can get on the internet. This is what so makes social media so amazing that people like this gentleman can can go peer to peer and get us the information without a filter of people telling us, "Oh, you can't say that, or that's not right, or the sponsors won't like that." Uh, this gentleman is running for the U.S. Senate. Uh, he's from MIT. Uh, he's probably the smartest man we've ever had on the show. Uh, I'm very excited, and I'm honored that he would come on our little show. Please welcome Dr. Shiva Ayadure, everybody. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Great to be here. Well, uh, I am beyond a stack having you on. I'm so blessed you were kind enough to... I know you're super busy, man, so thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you're running for Senate. Can you tell us a little bit about that, my friend? Yeah, so you know we're in Massachusetts. You know, Massachusetts, in many ways, is a center of the... In some ways, a deep state. If you you know, if you want to use that word, I love um, it. but if you think about Massachusetts, is where the American Revolution really was born. You know, the uh, Bunker Hill, Lexington, and you have to understand that when the British lost her, they didn't get up on their ships and leave back to Britain. They embedded themselves deeper within here, right? So if you look at the institutions like Harvard and uh, many of the you know academic institutions here. Uh, they're the centers of training, uh, you could argue and probably show, of the global elite, not only in the United States, but everywhere and throughout the world. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, I guess, a fortune or whatever you want to think about it, the opportunity to, you know, come to Massachusetts when I was in 1981 as a kid, um, earn a bunch of degrees out here, start a bunch of companies. So I understand the dynamics and the importance of Massachusetts, not only to the country, but to the world. Well, and um, so I'm running for Senate here. I, I never liked electoral politics, really dislike both parties. Uh, but when Trump won in uh, 2016, first time I ever voted because he was a guy throwing enough bombs at both parties. And so I uh, decided to register as an independent. I voted for him and then registered as a Republican and ran. But the Republican establishment in Massachusetts was essentially in collusion with the Democrat establishment. Uh, in the election that I ran in 2018, it was me against Elizabeth Warren. Oh um, the Republicans, and our slogan was only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. <laughs> yeah, you know, me, and we had a huge bus. Uh, you know, I own a building in Cambridge, and, and that bus had the, um, you know, uh, a picture of me and a picture of Warren in a headdress, and it said only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. The city of Cambridge told me to take down the banner. I sued them in federal court. They ran away. Um, but we had those posters up everywhere and we had, you know, um, we also sent her a DNA test kit, which she returned like an idiot, which I tweeted out and it went viral all over the Internet. You know, I got on Varney and uh, Jesse Waters and uh, Laura Ingram, et cetera. Point is, we ran as Republicans, but the Republican establishment was so afraid of us. They ran an idiot against me who, who positioned himself as a fake Trumper, who was a fake Trumper photoshopped a picture with Trump. There's three hands in the picture, okay? So we knew the Republican establishment was in collusion. We ran as independents. They never thought we'd get on the ballot. Not only did we get all, all the 20,000 signatures, but we also ended up getting 100,000 votes, even though they illegally kept me off the debate stage. 
five times more than any U.S. Senate candidate in Massachusetts history. And that guy was allowed on the debate stage. So this year we're running as Republicans. Uh, as of now, there's no other candidate running against me. Um, and uh, it'll probably be Joe Kennedy who I'll, who I'll face in the, uh, in the general elections. Man, you are a bad man, my friend, and I'm uh, glad I'm on your side. Uh, I think people, and first of all, we'll get more into your sin. I think people need to realize the power of uh, who you are and what you represent and how important you are to us in the truth community. Uh, you are the man, Johnny, I don't know if you know this about the doctor, but he's the man that invented email. No kidding. Wow. He invented email. Can you tell us a little bit about that, doctor? Wow. I mean, I've been inventing, you know, or really most of my life has been involved in uh, creating, you know, technologies for really advancing infrastructure. Um, you guys are taping this, right? You know, my, can you hear my dog? We're I mean, fine do, with it. Don't worry about it. We love it. We love it. All right. It's all good. So, so, so anyway, so if you go back to the history of this, um, there was a time, um, you know, when, when the way that we communicated was through two methods, the landline phone, I'm talking about in recent history, and then the inner office mail system and organizations. Yeah, some of you may remember, in a, if you went to a, a hospital, you worked in a research institution or a, or a college or a university or a high school, there, uh, every teacher or professor or doctor had a secretary. She had a thing called a desktop. Yes. And on the desktop, she physically had a box called the inbox, another box called the outbox, another box called a draft, she had paper clips, she had a typewriter, she had bond paper, she'd write this thing called a memo. And so if you were gonna hire someone, you'd put two, um, you know, your boss, I wanna hire this guy from, let's say it was you, you may carbon copy your supervisors, you may attach the person's resume, and you then typed up your, your, your memo, you put it into a, an envelope, and then you put, attached it into a uh, in a pneumatic tube and went around the office. This was the inner office mail system. Uh, you had carbon paper if you did carbon copy, blind carbon copy, all the things we see in email today. Well, I was a 14-year-old kid working full-time as a research fellow at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School in Newark. My background was I've always been interested in medicine. I came from India as a seven-year-old. I know my parents left the caste system. We escaped the caste system, settled in New Jersey, in Patterson, Clifton, you know, Persephone and, and Livingston. And by the time I was 14, I was one of those kids. I wasn't just a nerd. I played baseball and, you know, soccer, but I'd finished calculus by the ninth grade. Uh, typically what kids take as a senior in 12th grade. My high school had no more math courses. And I ended up getting this very uh, amazing opportunity to go to New York University when I was a 14-year-old in an intensive summer program to study seven programming languages. This is in 1978. Oh I was one of four God. students selected, used to go to uh, New York. You know, my mom would take me to the train station in Newark. I'd take it in. This is a 14-year-old kid. Most parents are afraid to send their kids down the street these days. Graduated top of the class, number one. And when I got back that, you know, I had some more humanities courses. Um, the teachers changed the rules so I could travel to Newark 30 miles away. And I got a job at this medical school initially doing programming uh, to understand why babies were dying in their sleep, analyzing data. And people knew I was pretty talented, so I was given this challenge to convert that old-fashioned paper-based system to the electronic form. I wrote 50,000 lines of code, captured every feature, called that system email, a term never used before in the English language, and then uh, went off to, won, a bunch, won one of the Westinghouse Science Awards, which is now called the Baby Nobles. 
And then when I came to MIT, they had featured me among three other students who were entering the MIT class. Didn't think a lot about it. I was brought up to be very humble. The president of MIT, who I met at dinner that year in 81, said, Shiva, you should, you should copyright this because the Copyright Act of 1976 was amended in 1980 so that you could use copyright law to protect software inventions. The Supreme Court, uh, Dr. Gray was the president of MIT, he goes, he goes, too bad the Supreme Court doesn't recognize software patents. So I copyrighted. It wasn't simply putting a C with a circle. You had to send in all your code. It went back and forth. And August 30th, 1982, a 17-, 18-year-old American kid was issued the first copyright for email, recognizing me officially as the inventor of email. I called an email, wrote the code, had every feature. Um, and we're not talking about simple text messaging, okay? You could send these little did it dat telegram type messages. I'm talking about the whole system. So, yes, I invented email as a kid before I came to MIT. And oh the interesting God. story with that is that I never promoted about seven years ago when my mom was dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. She had saved all of this in a beautiful suitcase, the computer code, the copyright notices, you know, all the, the work. And Time Magazine wrote an article. The only journalist who actually went through all the material called The Man Who Invented Email, three months later in February 16, 2012, the Smithsonian wanted all my stuff. They held a big ceremony, went in. And uh, it's a very interesting set of stories what happened after that because I came uh, smack in the face of the liberal aristocracy, which claims they care about diversity and inclusivity, who had already written the bullshit story of email, that it was done by a guy who looked like a nerd and all he had done was done simple text messaging. And this was like a new, you know, uh, skull was found in Africa. And you can see all the defamatory comments that came, people calling me a Curry saying Indian who should be beaten and hanged, an asshole, oh a dick, gawker media. Um, it was quite horrible because here I'd gotten four degrees from MIT, started many companies, and you could see this viciousness. And the viciousness came because I was not anointed, you see? When I went to MIT during 81 to 2007, I was on the front page of creating many other things, many other inventions. But the fact that I, I stated the truth that email was invented long before I came to MIT in Newark. That throws a big wrench into this long-held narrative that all great in inventions must come from you know MIT or Harvard or, or dropouts from Harvard. That's cool, right? Or Stanford. But it surely couldn't come from a working-class kid in Newark, New Jersey, who was trying to solve a civilian problem, not a military problem. The notion is we've all been uh, brainwashed to think all great innovations must come from war you know, the military industrial academic complex. So the story of email, yes, I invented email, but the bigger story is why was there such a bullshit controversy created? Why did people go on Wikipedia to change my page? And then four years later, I sued Gawker Media. We won a major lawsuit, drove them into bankruptcy, along with Hulk Hogan's lawsuit. Well, I love it, sir. You know, I understand what you're going through in L.A. You know, we have our own thing going on where we're trying to be. I'm a stand-up comedian. And, you know, a long time ago, I realized I wasn't one of the cool kids. And they were never going to allow me to, you know, they weren't going to allow Rudolph to play in the reindeer games. And that, that yeah. happens all the time. They're very open-minded, but in reality, they just want to work with their own. And so when somebody outside of them does something, they don't want to give it any respect because that would mean their group didn't do anything. So I appreciate the hard work that you oh, put well, out. Yeah, well, the thing with email, it's, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, the, I don't know if you know who invented TV. It was a 14-year-old kid in Franklin, Idaho by the name of Philo Farnsworth, okay? And uh, RCA and Sarnoff came and saw his stuff. They stole it. And 
he had to go into patent litigation. He actually had the patent also because you could patent devices. Um, eventually, there's a statue of him in Washington, D.C. now. But the issue with me, it's, it's fascinating because Philo's journey is very similar to mine. 14 years old, done in a small town where in, invent, innovation is not supposed to come from. So it's not only the person, but where it came from, you say? Because, again, it gets back to this very deep narrative that we have to go kill people and then we get innovation. And the fact is, the invention of email, the invention of TV took place by people who were basically tinkering around and not even worried about making money off of it. But we're doing it in a very open architecture. So it, it goes around, uh, you know, it goes against many of this uh, deep held narratives of where does innovation come from. Um, are you worried that, that, you know, innovation comes from necessity, right? And that, you know, there's this whole notion that maybe because a lot of the infrastructure in terms of um, creating and building stuff in the United States is gone. We've moved all of our, our, our jobs overseas. I, I found something very interesting that said that the U.S. military made deals with other countries, that if they uh, allowed U.S. bases to be put in their countries, that they could sell goods in the United States without tariffs, but they could tariff the United States goods with, to me, is going, hey, man, let's get the jobs out of here. Let's make it so there's no work anywhere. So the only options they have are prison, and the military these are my words not yours doctor um but do you worry that without the necessity that innovation could be leaving i i think that's a big problem right now with china where everybody gets put into this job that job you know they they pick what you do that they're not very creative do you worry that that might happen in the united states well i i think that the the important issue to understand is that the global elite um don't really have any allegiance to any country. Um, so they move their capital around wherever it gives them maximal benefit, okay? So it's not an allegiance to any particular national boundary anymore. So there are people who invest in China, right? There are people who invest in anywhere, okay? And move vast sums of money there. And um, it's, it's not even about any national interest. It's their personal interest by and large. If it so happens to merge with national interests, then they'll hype it and promote that. So when you what, what you're saying is what's happened to the United States on multiple levels is that if you look back at the history of this country, the American working class was one of the most powerful um, uh, activist movements in the world. You know, I, I mentioned on a previous interview with, with someone else just before this that if you look back in the 1800s, May Day, International Workers' Day was not a communist event. It was done by American workers when three workers were shot in the Haymarket riots, fighting for basic you know, work, workers' rights. Um, so the, the issue is that the working class, the powerful revolutionary working class movement that really inspired the world started in the United States. And between the late 1800s to the 1930s, that working class movement is why we got the eight-hour workday, you know, elimination of child labor, nutrition, all those amazing gains which really uh, brought us public infrastructure. And ever since then, starting with Frank Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the, the establishment in this country, they hated that. They hated that how dare these working people rise up and fight against us. And since that time, that, that's why the McCarthy era started, right? It was to really, not really about the Red Scare, it was to smash American workers' movements. So what we've seen is 
the 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 attack on the workers' movements, uh, everyday people rising up, is um, what has been at the core of this. And the and the goal of this, in my view, has been to deny those work workers' movements, to deny people rising up from bottoms up. And so you know the global capitalists, the global imperialists, um, moves this capital everywhere. And so it's really not any allegiance, and particular particularly it's a hatred of working people's movements. And so part of that is, you know, destroying uh, uh, innovation, destroying manufacturing, uh, et cetera. But the issue is that it's it's fundamentally about exploitation. So, uh, I mean, I love everything you're saying. I completely agree with everything that you're saying. The only reason I said that about the because I feel like at some point the global elitists, the banking cabals turn the U.S. military into uh, their own personal stormtroopers, and they need as many stormtroopers as possible. So, you know, the flooding of drugs uh, into the country, the you know, our, our military protecting poppy fields in, the, uh, in Afghanistan, flooding, whether it's crack or heroin, black communities with crack, white communities with heroin, and then mixing it both up. Give, you know, taking away people's options in life to, to feed the soldiers, the, the fodder for the military industrial complex. But I want to get into uh, some of the stuff that I uh, really love that you're touching on. And that is that I think it's a very important conversation to have right now. And that is vaccines. We've seen some amazing movements going on in the United States. One obviously happened in Virginia yesterday. The mainstream media painting that, oh, this is a uh, Klan rally, white supremacist, watch for the burning crosses. And then we saw just giant wads of peaceful people of both white, black, you know, men, women, all there peacefully protesting for their rights to the Second Amendment. But you were also part of this New Jersey movement in order to push back on this mandatory vaccine thing that seems to be being pushed by a lot of these uh, state levels and federal levels. Can you tell us a little bit about that movement and then get into your thoughts on vaccines? Yeah, so I I think the way you put this in context, the fundamental issue is this is really about liberty and freedom, the attack on both of those. Just to give you some context, back in, uh, you know, for me, this, uh, the, the integration of fighting for truth, freedom and health has been part of my life for, you know, since I was four years old. Having grown up in India uh, with the caste system, uh, my grandmother was a traditional healer wanting to understand how medical systems worked. So the interest in uh, political systems and the medical system has been intertwined into my life. So it's been a long journey fighting for all sorts of things, you know, being a professional scientist at this. But one of the interesting things is in 2000, August 2017, just to lay this context on, since you brought up how the media was trying to represent Virginia, um, there was a bunch of students who wanted to hold a free speech rally in, in Massachusetts, in Boston, on the Boston Common, which is known as the center of free speech. And uh, I was asked to speak with many other people of differing political opinions, left wing, right wing, Green Party, Bernie people, um, you know, right wingers, all all sorts of people. I agreed to go. Um, uh, That was scheduled for August uh, 19, 2017. Three days before that, Charlottesville took place in Virginia. The mayor of Boston was running against a black guy and the, the governor was running against a Hispanic guy. So they used that occasion to brand our rally as a Nazi event, because one of the guys was a guy called Gavin McGinnis, okay? Gavin yeah. got 
uh, essentially scared, didn't want to come. Uh, so, but we still had the rally. 40,000 people showed up against 40 of us, okay? It was quite extraordinary. I was called a Nazi and a white supremacist. Unbelievable. Um, so so the, the reason I shared that is, um, and my speech was essentially I exposed Hillary Clinton as a racist, Joe Biden as a racist. We, behind me, we had signs which said, you know, black lives do matter, no to Monsanto. I shared the fact that uh, with my academic scientific work showing... Coming back, please come back. Not there you are. I heard him. That's bizarre. I was just like a freeze almost. People. Yeah, oh, hold on. I need to restart Skype. That's like a. That means you can't practice. Oh, there we go. No. What do you think we should do, Doctor? Hold on one second. For some reason, it's freezing. Solution. Uh, what do you think it is? It. That's like a Skype bug. That's not a signal thing. Because see how clear it is. Freedom being the prerequisite. All right, sir. Uh, I I have to tell uh, you that for some yep. reason there was a Skype bug glitch, and we, we you, can we just get what you said after um you were called a uh you said that you uh there you were called a, a white supremacist and all that stuff. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you got all the stuff before that, right? Yes. With Hillary yes, Clinton and all that. Yes. Yes. We got where so, so you we called her called, racist, yes. Yeah. So so I was called a Nazi, okay? And the reality was that what I was speaking about was here was a dark-skinned Indian guy exposing the white liberal elite of Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, etc., um, uh, and sharing the truth. Um, and, and that doesn't go well in Massachusetts where the Republican uh, establishment colludes with the Democrat establishment. And here was 40 of us against 40,000 people being called Nazis when we had signs that said black lives do matter and, you know, no to Monsanto, clean air, clean water, clean food. You know, the great thing is we had a video. You'll see it went viral all over the Internet. In fact, one of the writers for The Globe at least was honest. And he said, you know, the only thing this free speech, he goes, this free speech rally was a free speech rally without free speech. For the people <laughs> were trying to conduct it. It's unbelievable. Uh, it is unbelievable how the like the liberal mu movement. I I consider myself old school liberal. Love everybody. Equal treatment. Yeah, I'm talking double fault liberal. Yeah. When I say liberal, there is true liberalism, but I put it in you know the multiracial quote unquote liberal aristocracy now uh, is is basically wants to attack freedom. That they're the smart ones. No one else is smart, and then by violating freedom. Uh, the goal is you can't really practice science, the scientific method. So you replace a scientific method with scientific consensus. So you can never really get a truth. And without truth, you, you never get at the real problem, the real solution. You create a fake problem and a fake solution, which basically annihilates health uh, of our body, our society, our infrastructure. And therefore, you create weak societies and you can't fight for freedom. So it's a cyclical a model here. And the vaccine movement, if you really think about it, it's part of that cycle. It's really not about vaccines, vax or non-vax. It's really much more fundamental. It's about the authority of the state um, telling people um, that we're going to curtail your freedom, right? We're going to tell you what's good for you. And it's based on fake science, which is a violation of truth with, with this concept called herd immunity. We can talk more about it. And then you violate truth and you're actually hurting people's health. So for me, I've been involved, you know, you know, running a bunch of organizations on this concept of truth, freedom and health. 
And the vaccine um, part of this is really the ultimate exposure of the violation of freedom, the violation of tr- uh, truth, and the violation of health, all three of them. It is unbelievable. I would love, before we start getting into uh, a lot of stuff that you've been talking about in your videos, if you could give everybody a little more uh, uh, specific information about your specific degrees and uh, what, how that makes you an expert on talking about vaccines so nobody can just dismiss what you're saying. Now, look, so, so what is a vaccine? First of all, a vaccine is a product of engineering. It's a, it's a product of biological engineering, okay? Just like an airplane is a product of aeronautical engineering or a car is a product of mechanical and automotive engineering or a transistor or an iPhone is a product of uh, you know, electrical engineering, okay? So a vaccine is an engineering product and it comes from various materials that are mixed together, go through a series of processes. And by the time it gets to a doctor, a pediatrician or MD, they're more at the end of that process. No different than a pilot who pilots a plane. A pilot who's piloting a plane has no idea about how the, uh, the engineering aspects of that plane or the risk assessment of that plane. Maybe some of them studied aeronautics, but by in general, they learn how to fly the plane, just like an MD or pediatrician knows how to inject that vaccine. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So first of all, um, there are a lot of ignorant people who say, oh, you know, he's not an MD or a pediatrician, there's no vaccine. Well, first of all, they're ignorant because what they don't understand is that a vaccine is a product of engineering. So I have four degrees in engineering from MIT, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, my PhD is in biological engineering, and I have a degree in design, okay? So that makes me an expert in understanding systems. And a, the, the, you know, MIT in 2003 created a department called biological engineering, not biomedical. Just like you had the laws of chemistry were coming and you needed to create chemical engineering, to use the laws of chemistry to build chemical products. So the idea was we starting to understand biological mechanisms. We need biological engineering to create biological products. All right. Right. That's what vaccines are. So uh, uh, unfortunately, the MD and the pediatrician know very little about vaccines. They may take, you know, uh, half a semester course in it. And for that matter, they know very little about the immune system. They may have taken a course in immunology but they don't know it as a system. So what's a system? A system is an interconnected system of parts. The immune system is a complex system. The vaccines that are created today are using a system of understanding of the immune system that is based on or at least 60 to 150 years old. Okay, it's old science. Goes back to 1915 and 1950 where the parts of the system were just two boxes, the innate system and the adaptive system. So to keep it simple, two box model. The first box is if you happen to get, if I sneezed on you, got measles, uh, that hit your innate immune system, right? Your eyes, your notes, your respiration, that your body tried to solve that by using the innate system, macrophages, neutrophils. It tries that around three years and then it hands it off to the adaptive immune system, which then tries to attack that virus using like a sharpshooter, which is called the adaptive immune system, creating an antibody, okay? But the, the reason I'm sharing this with you is the model that the MD and the pediatrician learns, the adaptive and the innate system, is based on 60 years old, 150 year old science. And that's what's used to create vaccines wow. where they're saying, okay, instead of you getting measles coming in through the air and the eyes, which is the innate, we're gonna inject something into the adaptive 
And if you get an antibody, great, you have protection, okay? Well, my research, I'm a systems guy, okay? I'm a systems biologist to be specific. And the research of, I mean, uh, you know, I, I studied the immune system for the last at least 20 years, um, is much more complex. It's the innate, it's the adaptive, but it's got a couple of other boxes, the interferon system, it's got the microbiome, all those gut bacteria, it's got the brain, the neural system, and all these systems talk to each other, okay? The ankle bone's connected to the foot bone. So if you go and inject something into the bloodstream, into disaffecting one of those boxes, you have to be frankly stupid to think the other five boxes or more are not gonna try to uh, react to try to handle this perturbation. And this will ah. affect in different ways to different people, which means some people may not do anything and other people will. So in science or in, in this kind of thing, when you you know put something in, it's gonna have some effect, right? right? Risk and benefits, both risk and benefits. So the issue is when you put in a vaccine, what is the risk and benefits of that versus me sneezing on you and you getting measles, right? So that's the risk and benefit. Oh, the reality. Okay, so let me just let me just break this down into into a little simpler here. So so the the whole old system is there's two systems. We're gonna inject a vaccine into a defense two. We'll say we have our first defense. We have defense exactly. two, and hopefully that'll make the antibodies that will clean everything up. But over time and through your research and your studying at MIT, you found that there's not just two, but there's up to five, let's say, five, maybe even more systems. And they all talk to each other. So we inject something into system, let's say, two. Well, three, four, and five are going to have a reaction to that. That could cause... But depending, they, they'll have varying levels of reaction depending on your genetics, your epigenetics, etc. Yep. So, and let's say I, uh, and then we got the issue of if I sneeze on you with a cold versus me hitting you with a vaccination, what's the difference of those two things? And why so is what's one... The risk benefit? So what's the risk and benefit, right? Yeah. Well, the risk and benefit analysis was never done really on vaccines. Why? And this is, you know... You know, I, my PhD work at MIT was creating a technology where I can literally model very complex molecular mechanisms on the computer. I created that for two reasons. It's been a long journey of mine because I wanted to really understand molecular, you know, so if you take a vitamin, if you take food, what is actually happening at the molecular level, okay? Up until my creating that technology, I wasn't really able to do that. That's my company, Cytosolve, C-Y-T-O-S-O-L-V-E, okay? That came out of my PhD work in 2007. Um, and then a separate venture I do is systems health, which I've been doing again for about 15 years, which is to understand the integration of Eastern and Western medicine. Um, I actually did a movie that was produced by Pierce Brosnan called um, Poisoning Paradise, where I use these technologies to show what happens when you genetically engineer corn and soy. Um, if you go to Whole Foods, you'll see a label called Clean Certified, okay, which is a label our nonprofit created to help Whole Foods and the entire raw food. The reason I'm telling you this is I've been involved in the health community in a very vibrant and dynamic way for many, many years. And if you look at the entire areas that I'm involved in, it's always been about understanding food as medicine, okay? And food is a multi-combination drug, many, many, many different compounds, okay? A drug is a single synthetic compound that doesn't exist in nature. Now, pharmaceutical companies 
they are about creating a synthetic drug for a particular ailment, right? Like you have inflammation, okay, we created ibuprofen, right? right. You have whatever, uh, uh, hypertension or whatever, some heart disease, we create Lipitor, okay? A single drug. In order for that drug to make it to market, it takes anywhere between 10 to 13 years, okay? You have to do test tube testing, kill a bunch of animals, and you gotta get FDA approval to go to clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three. Lots of regulation there. So for a pharma company, high risk because they put a lot of money if it doesn't make it and high liability. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That has been the drug market. Same with the biomedical device. A lot of regulations, a lot of risk. Well, vaccines don't need to go through that same regulatory process. They were given a, uh, a get out of jail free card. They didn't have to go through the same process as pharma. And in 1986, when Reagan very stupidly supported the creation of the vaccine courts, okay, the liability was also removed. So think about you being a pharma company. Okay, I can make a drug. I have to go through 13, 15 years of research and development, high risk, a lot of money, and even what comes out, if it hurts people, I could get sued. High risk, high liability. Vaccines, no risk, no yeah. liability. You see what I'm saying? So. The issue is they oh didn't have to do the risk assessment studies, okay? They didn't have to show all the risk matrices for you versus the two different cases. That they don't exist. And so, you know, when I got involved in this, I said, shit, where the hell is the risk assessment? So we called the first international conference on vaccine safety and risk assessment. 650 people showed up, all right? 400 people online, 200 people physically, you know, uh, in Cambridge. We did this. No one got paid. We did it. We haven't been around in this movement for 16, 17 years. And I was shocked that none of these guys had had not done it. But the bottom line is there is no risk assessment matrix understanding of this example. You have a multi-body problem. What is the difference between giving the vaccine and not giving it the risk assessment profiles? So when the, so basically it's indeterminate. And when something is indeterminate, you must allow choice, period. So if you don't know what the risk is, why are you forcing everyone to take this stuff and mandating it? That's so it that right there. That's it. That's the whole thing right there. If you're not going to test it and you're not going to find out what the side effects are, how can you force us to take it? That's it. Right. So the reason this is being done is that the pharmaceutical industry is in peril. Look, when I, the technology I create we, you know, Pfizer has used our stuff and Al Nylum. We have companies that come to us, good people. There are people in these companies who know the pharmaceutical drug models failing. So they're trying to figure out new ways to actually discover medicines that work without killing animals, right? So those guys know their models failing, but vaccines don't have to go through any of that regulatory process. So that is a fundamental issue here. Doctor, and let me ask you something yeah. real quick. I I, can't, I don't remember that time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born in the 70s, but I wasn't paying attention to this 1986 when they made this whole thing with Reagan. What was the argument? Was there any national discussion on that? On no, there was. You, you got to understand. You, so let's look at, you're bringing up a very important issue, okay? You, we have to understand what is the career politician, okay? The career politician is a scumbag. They have no jobs, okay? They don't have any skills. I mean, there's few guys like Rand Paul was an up, you know, but they fundamentally are get into politics. And what do they do the first day they get into politics? 
to get reelected. Okay. So if you look at the broad concept here, a politician comes into office and if you house of representatives, two years, Senate, six years, if you looked at actually their workday schedule, if you actually, and you can look at it, 80 to 90% of their time is spent trying to get donations to try to peddle influence so they can get reelected, right? In two years or six years. That's the business model. Well, if you look at the economy as having three buckets, one bucket is they could vote on putting money into giving away free stuff, Medicare, food stamps, et cetera, equity. The second is security, border control, et cetera. And the third is infrastructure, public infrastructure, okay? That one takes 10, 20 years to get deployed. So where do you think these career politicians vote for? They always vote for bucket one, give away free stuff with our tax dollars, right? Yes. It's easy. So they never vote for infrastructure. So what's fundamentally happened in this country is the entire infrastructure in this country is falling apart. Yep. Massachusetts, by way of example, got an F. This is where MIT, all these smart engineers are. MIT, I mean, Massachusetts not only got an F, but an F, a big fat F and F, okay? <laughs> one, one out of 23 points out of 350. And then another study by the Center for Public Integrity, by the way, that was from the American Society of Civil Engineers. The, this, the, the, uh, the Center for Public Integrity, so you have an F in infrastructure, and Massachusetts got a D plus in corruption, okay? So corruption and infrastructure go hand in hand. So these politicians, cannot solve the infrastructure issues, which is really the way you get to public health. So what they're doing is they need to stay in power. So big pharma comes in. And so they created the vaccine courts because that's how they engineered their maintaining power. You see? Yeah. So they created the vaccine courts because they serve big pharma and they created this bullshit. So you and I can't sue pharma. You, you, and I, you know, if Advil or Lipitor does something to you, we have the right to go sue pharma, right? But we can't do that with vaccines, all right? So this entire thing was brought to you by the career politician. And if we want to change this world, we gotta, first of all, have term limits and we gotta vote every one of these. We should say, do you have a job? Do you have a job to go back to? If you don't, no one should vote for them. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. People have to and and recognize that we don't need to vote for someone with a Kennedy next to their name. Why? Why? Because they had John F. Kennedy at one point? Well, these people have been living off the past. Why are you voting for these people? It starts with you and you and you, people voting for these idiots. Because that's how the vaccine courts got set up, by a bunch of scumbags who have no jobs. So, so... I totally agree with you. I think it's very interesting that, like, on a state level or local level, we have term limits. But in Washington, D.C., no term limits. Why? Because whatever reason they get these politicians in there and they have them, whether it's lobbying money or, or, you know, this is Tim Fallhat, doctor, so I'm going to say words not you're about me, not you, but blackmail, or they're controlling these people or whatever. They don't want to have to keep doing it, keep buying off these guys, keep blackmailing these people. And, and, and now they get one guy and they can control them for decades and decades and decades. And that's why I always get like, how is Debbie Wasserman Schultz winning an election again? Like she does. Well, you, have to understand that. you have to understand what's happening is we need a revolution in this country where people recognize that they need to have one of them, you know, not, you know, pe- people need to have everyday people who enter and then they leave. Yeah. Leave is 
more important than entering, you know, that they exit stage left after they're done. You know, I'm running for Senate. I'm only going to do it one term. I have a bunch of other stuff I got to do. I mean, I run three companies. I get up in the morning. I write. I have many other things. The reason I'm doing this, it's a pure giving back to a country that's given me so much. So the bottom line is, imagine you go in to want to get reelected. That means you're only one fifth of a senator or congressman. So my goal is to go in and be basically people are going to get five senatorial terms from me, right? Because I, I don't care about getting reelected. So that means my schedule is going to be filled up with legislation and fighting for people, right? From nine to whatever nine, right? Not with 90% of it going to donor meals and milking people for money. So this is a fundamental problem. We have career politicians. And that's what's destroying this country. And that's how something like the vaccine courts got in. And so people need to go to the underlying issue. It's not just big pharma. Everyone listening to this understand it's you who caused this. I agree. You're, you're, you're electing people who don't have jobs. So they're going to screw you. I couldn't agree more. Doctor, I want to talk about what the side effects of vaccines are. I mean, so obviously you've said the effects are different on different people. The whole debate is whether vaccines cause autism. What are what is your whole? You know, I have a cousin who has severe art, autism, or his child does. Uh, it affects my family. I'm v I'm very um, sensitive to the issue. I've done as many uh, benefits as I can to support the uh, getting the word out. I think everybody knows about it. Uh, what are the effects and are we doing any good by trying to raise money to stop autism? And when maybe we need to like just stop vaccination. I don't know. I don't want to uh, draw a well, conclusion. Here, here, here's the thing. So if so, you've asked a very good question. Okay. If you look at any disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, AIDS, okay. All of these diseases. Have you noticed how many nonprofits are out there raising money for this and they never solve anything? Have you noticed this? Yeah. So look at Breast Cancer Foundation. They become a multi-billion dollar foundation. They run it like a franchise. Okay. And Susan Coleman, you know, who's head of that, you know, got a nice big, I think, multi-million dollar retirement package per year. Beautiful branding, little pink things. Everyone does their breast cancer. But I don't see breast cancer solved, right, with all that money. So there are people who are poverty pimps. On any issue, they come in, be it the autism, be it Alzheimer's, be it AIDS, that they're sitting there. They don't really want to fight. They're telling people to be nice to legislators, okay? And until I got involved, I was the first guy who was very vocal. I said, you need to build a broad revolutionary movement. And a lot of people in New Jersey listen to that because people in New Jersey like to fight. We're pretty straightforward, okay? <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is up until then, it was all these people, the Hollywood guys, some guy running a media company wants to grow it, okay? You know, people wanting to grow their nonprofits, right? People running their nonprofits as franchises. So do you really want to win this? Or what, the, what are you really doing, okay? The only way to win is bottoms up, okay? not bowing down to legislators. We have never won anything. Human beings, when we were slaves or wage slaves or the workers in the 18, we didn't get jack from these guys. We didn't get jack from bowing down to a legislator, nothing. In fact, whenever we did that, we got a fake solution, affirmative action. I mean, look, Martin Luther King, nice guy, great speech, but he was a not so obvious establishment set against Malcolm X by the Kennedys and by the Southern National Christian Conference oh, to basically- Yeah. To Okay, so we never address the infrastructure issues in inner cities. The situation of black people today is worse than before it was before civil rights.
Okay, we created a pencil strata of black bourgeois like the Obamas, etc. But we never addressed the fundamental issues of infrastructure in inner cities. Instead of that, they threw this thing called affirmative action. Okay, so what you have is you have movements that come up, be it to for cancer or for Alzheimer's or autism, and then you have all these celebrities and these numb nuts who come in and they basically screw over these movements. They're the not so obvious establishment. Until people like me come along who came from nothing, say, wait a minute, I don't agree with the way you're doing this, right? We need to build a bottom-up movement. And the vaccine movement, for 17 years, that's why they lost in California. That's why they lost in New York. And the reason we, we had at least an, a, 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 an important victory here, you know, and the victory is not done, was because people got freaking pissed off and angry bottoms up, okay? So there's a physics to movements, too. So when you look at the autism issue you're bringing up, yeah, there are people who are going to just make money off autism, man. You know, they're building their nonprofits. They, w- uh, instead of talking about autism, we should go and understand that in most autism is a spectrum. It's really fundamentally related to neuroinflammation. Okay, inflammation in the brain. You follow me? Uh, I'm trying. Okay, so basically, your body undergoes inflammation. If I if I hit your finger with a hammer. Your body, I don't want to do that, but you're going to get inflammation, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and your white blood cells, everything will run over there on that finger to try to protect it, okay? If your body thinks it's under some type of injury, it will create inflammation. When you give a pathogen that comes into you, your body undergoes inflammation, a natural form of inflammation. It builds resistance and resilience and it gets strong. When you give a vaccine, you subvert, as, as we said, into box two, right? Right. Your body will react. Now that reaction is a very different kind of inflammatory process than it's used to when it came through the natural way, okay? So when it, it, then that inflammatory process may not know how to turn itself off, okay? Which could be chronic neuroinflammation. And that may vary among people, okay? Some people may be fine. Other people may end up with what you call, quote unquote, severe neuroinflammation, okay? Which you may call AUTISM, okay? And I don't want to use that word because it's, it's become such a broad word, but it could be lupus, right? It could be some other inflammatory process. But the point is, it may not only be vaccines. It may be a combination. Vaccines, glyphosate, bad water, bad health. You know what I'm saying? Genetics, it's a combination of things. But the point is, we need to ask that when you take a complex system like the immune system, and now you start putting something into it, where you don't really have the risk assessment studies, that it could be creating, because the gut is related to the brain, the gut-brain axis, that that perturbation could cause other changes. And that could cause neuroinflammation, right? And that's what autism is. Now, how do you fight this? What is the real way we solve this? And my position is going back to the I word, infrastructure. The way we, it was, And how did we get infrastructure? From people fighting on the streets and building movements. It was the people fighting on the streets in the 1800s that we even got hygiene, that we got nutrition, that we got ending child labor, that we got refrigeration, transport. And if you look at the number of deaths in the uh, uh, 1900s, we um, nearly all infectious diseases were wiped away from that infrastructure, okay? By the time measles vaccines comes in 1963, 98% of measles was gotten rid of. You follow what I'm saying? Right. It was infrastructure. So these freaking politicians don't want to talk about infrastructure. What do I mean? Clean air. 
Okay? Paris Accords, total bullshit. Okay? Yeah, I want to get uh, pollute. Clean water. I mean, I'm in Belmont, which is a supposedly a wealthy community. My bill says I'll oh, be aware you could have lead in your water. What the hell? So I got to now go spend money on filters and bottled water. Everyday working people can't afford that, right? Then you have dirty food, okay? Monsanto, uh, we don't, it's hard for people to do local farms, right? So you have dirty water, dirty air, dirty food. That's an infrastructure problem. And then you have the fact in the United States that the average infrastructure project takes 10 years to even start because of the red tape and corruption. So you have a bridge that's decaying into the water supply, okay? So these politicians do not, cannot solve the infrastructure issue because of the corruption. And because they can't solve that, they create bogus problems and bogus solutions. Oh, we're going to take care of your public health. Herd immunity bullshit, okay? Can you talk about that? What's her, her, her immun herd immunity? I can talk about that, but do you understand the big problem yes, here? Yes, If I we do. want to win this, we got to understand that it is infrastructure that has always helped humankind, okay? Not little medical interventions. I mean, the the plumber and the and the and the uh, you know uh, electrician and the garbage man has done far more for humanity than the doctor and the pharmacist. Period. Far more. And that is that is the truth, which we hype up with academics and scientists and medical research. It's all bullshit. The plumber and the sanitation worker have done far more than the doctor and the pharmacist. Period. That's where all those infectious diseases got reduced. So now what you do is you tell people, okay, we got to vaccinate everyone and therefore we're going to mandate it, okay? And you should thank us because this is the solution to public health, okay? And so how do they, so they create, like I shared with the Paris Accords, they create a fake science and a fake solution. Fake science, fake problem, fake solution, okay? So what's a fake, pro fake science here? Herd immunity, right? Fake problem. Uh, you know, everyone's going to get disease. Fake solution, vaccinate everyone, right? Yeah. That's how they do it. So where does herd immunity? Herd immunity goes like this. Okay, we let's take the United States. I'm going to take a number, 300 million citizens, okay? They say there is a portion of this of the United States which is immunocompromised, okay? Yes. What's immunocompromised? They can't be vaccinated. They can't even be around anyone who's sick. And in the United States, it's around one out of 2,000 people. It's called a primary uh, immunodeficiency, PID, okay? One out of 2,000 out of 300 million is what? About 170,000 people, okay? So in order to protect those 170,000 people, different vaccines have a different herd immunity percentage that you need to get so many of the broad public vaccinated in order to protect that 170,000. You following me? Yes. So protect this 170,000 people, the minority, we need to vaccinate, like with measles, they originally said it was 75%. Then it went to 80, 90. Now they're saying 95% of the 300 million. So what's the math on that? That's roughly, uh, what is it? 285 million people need to be vaccinated in order to protect the 170,000. So just think about those numbers, okay? It's called herd immunity, okay? Yeah. Now, all right. Now, that's assuming out of the 285 million, there's not some other minority that gets hurt. And we knew, do know people are getting hurt because that's why they set up the vaccine courts, because they know there's risk. So, but that is not embedded in this risk analysis, right? 
So in order, so the thing is, we're social justice warriors. We're the quote unquote liberals who care for the poor and the weak and the immunocompromised. Therefore, we need to vaccinate the 95 percent, forgetting that among the 285 million people who may be vaccinated, let's say even one percent. So how much is that? What's one percent of 200? 2.5 million people may get injured. Okay, but yeah. that 2.5 million. You know, if some of them have the wherewithal to go to vaccine court, they'll be handled there to protect the 170,000. The whole thing is bullshit. Okay, but no one articulates this until a guy like me, you know, who has a science degree uh, is willing to do this. And that's why it's so much fear to them, because I want to actually get down to the heart of this issue, which is infrastructure. And when you peel away infrastructure, you come to the career politician, Democrat and Republican. And many of these people in the vaccine movement are liberals who don't want to attack Democrats. Okay? 100%. So that's the problem. Let me that's ask- why this movement has people have sat on it for 17 years. They want to be nice to legislators because they freaking hang around with them. Yeah, okay? They're friends. Yep. So friends. let me ask you something, doctor. Uh, what is your suggestion to anybody that is having kids, you know, and... They're debating whether they should get uh, immune, you know, get their kids immunized or whatever the word is. Uh, what I'm saying is, again, this is not. Yeah. So so the biggest thing with with, you know, we live in a very interesting world where the state thinks they know better than you and me. Elizabeth Warren thinks she knows better than you and me. OK, right. Barack Obama thinks he knows better than you and me. OK, Bernie Sanders thinks he knows better than you and me. These people think they know better than you and me. OK when none of those people have ever produced anything. They've never created anything, they've never made anything, they probably don't know how to fix anything. Yet these people are out there saying they know how to fix stuff. So you have a a strata of people who think they know better and that the state knows better than you and me. This is the heart of the issue. And over the years, people have allowed the state to control their lives, give away their health to others. Meanwhile, not taking responsibility for their own health, what food you eat, Where does your food come from, et cetera, while not fighting for infrastructure and electing people who are part of the problem. Okay, this is the heart of it. So so if you are parents, families, mothers, fathers with children, okay, you have to understand that we live in a world that you can't hide anywhere. You can't run off to Vermont. You can't run off to some, you know, uh, ashram. Okay. We, we live in a world right now that you have to understand with full open eyes the dynamics of what's going on. And everyday working people like you and I and others need to be involved in governance. That was originally the foundation of this experiment called America. It wasn't supposed to be career politicians. We were supposed to participate, but we've given away, you know, our uh, governance to celebrities, you know? What the F does a cele- what does George Clooney know about radiative physics or fluid mechanics. Yep. What does he know about yep. fixing anything? Yep. What does any of these people know? Uh, I mean, when I looked at this movement, I, you know, I did that little 20 minute immune system diagram, it went viral. What is all these organizations who've been involved in the quote unquote anti-vaccine movement been doing? Frankly, they're politicians. One guy's trying to build his media company, another guy's running a franchise, but it's about time that everyday working people got involved in governance, okay? So this is not big pharma. Yeah, we can blame them, but this is you and I realizing that we have to put people like us and we have to participate. Until we do that, we're all screwed. Okay. 
I agree. If you're a parent, or first thing is you should put a mirror up to yourself and say, what the hell am I going to do to participate in governance, okay? When it comes to immunization, you have to fight for your personal right. And the other thing is not only vaccines. What is your child drinking? Where did the food coming from, right? What's in, it's, a, it's a multiplicity of issues. It's not any one thing. So if we, if we want to win the big win, you have to play the long game, okay? Yes. And the long game is infrastructure. It's not the short game. The short game, you'll always get, oh my God, oh my God, I got to vote for this. And that's where these middle groups, the nonprofits manipulate people, okay? That's why change doesn't occur is because people are doing the short game instead of saying, wait a minute, let me step back and listen to what Dr. Shiva is saying. He's talking about the long game. The long game is we need to fight for infrastructure and get rid of corruption. Because without that, we are all screwed because the next issue will come up. Let's say we saw a vaccine. What's going to be the next issue? Atrazine, right? The next issue is this. Next issue, it's going to be every other issue. All these issues have the same disease, the same problem. The infrastructure needs to be upgraded and the corrupt politicians. And the solution is you and I need to be in governance. And you and I need to understand that we need infrastructure, period. I respect that. So I'm going to ask you not... I don't want you to give advice because it's not legally binding or anything, but doctor, you're having a child right now and they were going to ask you to do, you know, like I know people having kids and they were like, yeah, they, they got to give them shots right there. Can you ask for the shots to be done over time? Or like, I, I understand infrastructure and I totally agree with you. Better water, better food, better all that stuff. But at that moment, if you were having a kid right now, we're talking you, nobody else. So there's no legality. You, what would you do? Well, so if, so let me give you an example. A friend of mine is a gastroenterologist, you know, internal medicine out of Stanford, et cetera. Okay. I'll give you an example. He had a child. They had several miscarriages. They had the child. The child was born cesarean. Okay. The reason I'm giving you that example is, so that kid is already immunocompromised, you say, because he didn't come through the birth canal and get all that microbiome. He said, why the hell am I gonna give my kid all these vaccines? Why am I gonna give it hepatitis 1B? My, my, my wife isn't an IV drug user. She's not a prostitute, neither am I, okay? <laughs> why am I gonna give him this? So he made a personal decision, okay? What I can tell you is, first of all, it depends on the situation, okay? If so you have to think about it in this manner, right? First of all, the we don't know enough about the interaction of all of these, okay? Number one. Number two, if your child is growing up in an environment where you're keeping him in a bubble, so think about one example. You keep your child in a bubble, you don't let him talk to anyone, speak to anyone, ever see anyone, and he lives in all sterilized environments, right? That's an extreme case. I would say you better titrate something if you brought up your kid like that, so he gets exposed to some pathogens, so he builds immunity. You follow? That's one extreme. Okay. If you're bringing up your kid in a slum all day long, okay, and he's exposed to so many pathogens that his immune system can never get resilient, okay, that's the other extreme. Your kid's probably going to be sick, so you need to pull him out of the slum, okay? Because, but, but by the way, he may have been inoculated, okay? Okay. But most of us are living somewhere in that middle ground, right? Right. So the issue is, how do you build immunity? This is a question, right? How do you build immunity? So, well, one way of building immunity in the traditional model was, A, were you born cesarean or not, okay? Uh, B, did you get access to, you know, what kinds of, were you 
fed breast milk or not. You see where I'm going with this? Okay. Where did you get to play in dirt, right? Did you get exposed? You know, there's a very interesting paper that came out. Kids who grew up with a dog that went in and out had 70% less ear infections than people who grew up without a dog, okay? You oh can look it up, God. okay? Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, ear infections. My point is we are supposed to be exposed to pathogens, okay? The immune system is waiting at the early stages to come down through the birth canal, right? That's where the immune system really builds its entire infrastructure, okay? So you have to consider this based on the situation. People need to, so if it were my child and, you know, my kid came through the birth canal, was breastfed, I would probably not get many of these vaccines. That would be me, okay? Yes. But if I, if I grew up in an airplane completely, I would probably say I would titrate some of these, okay? It's an artificial... If you live in an artificial environment all day, then you're going to have to figure out an artificial solution, if that makes sense, okay? Yeah. And if you're going to go artificial route of immunity, great. But then understand that it's probably not such a good thing to hit it with all this stuff in one shot, okay? Perhaps titrate it, okay? Watch what happens, okay? Observe. What and does titrate your- mean, sir? I mean, I'm... Uh- so one way is I could give you... Uh, let's say you, I, 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 you know, you, you hurt your thumb and you know something happened. Well, you could take two thousand milligrams of ibuprofen, right? Yeah. Or you take two hundred milligrams over a smaller period of time, Micro- shorter period yes. of time. You see? Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. You drip it, okay? Yeah. So your body has a chance to absorb it and clear it. See, the whole game, and this is what's called clearance. When you get uh, something coming through the natural way, like I sneeze on you. That's going through your natural process and your body knows how to detox stuff, you see? When you inject that vaccine, the measles, into your bloodstream, your body doesn't have the natural way to detox it, okay? It's called clearance, all right? Yes. It's about efficacy and toxicity. So when a drug company figures out to tell you to take, give you 400 milligrams of ibuprofen, um, that's coming from lots of research they did for 13, 15 years saying, okay, if we give 200 milligrams, it has no effect. If we give 2,000, it can hurt his liver. So we say, okay, give 400 over six hours. That's how they came up with those dosages, okay? Uh, yes, now okay. it all makes sense. Now I'm right. starting to understand this. So it's all about dosaging. So if you grew up in a slum all day and you're exposed to rats and everyone's sneezing on you, that's... So you're getting natural way, but your body never has a chance. So that's why when people say, why did infrastructure important? We cleaned everything. We had a way of titrating this. You follow what I'm saying? It's yes. all about titration. Yes. People in the cannabis world, all these, frankly, people who've been bamboozled that cannabis solves everything. It's a big lie. The cannabis of today is 25 times more stronger than yes. the THC levels of 1965. Um, okay. You had 1% THC, now it's got 25%. So that's why some people are really getting screwed with this stuff, okay? Because it's all about concentration. Yeah, I completely agree, doctor. Doctor, I know you're saying, okay, go on, sorry about that. So what I'm saying is, if people want to do vaccines and you have been living in a a world of never playing in dirt, never playing outside, your kid, you don't allow out, you probably need to figure out a way to expose your child to pathogens so they get strong, okay? So that's the overall game here, right? 
So if you're going to go vaccines and you, I would say titrate them, you know, or some people give some and they stop giving the others. All right. But I'm saying the concept here is do you want to create a healthy, resilient immune system? And once you ask that question, now you're on the journey to become more responsible for your child. And that's what needs to be done versus just following some formula. That I needed to hear that. Thank you very much, Doc. Doctor, I know you're super busy, but man, my favorite video you but, put but out. You know, people should make their own decisions. Yeah. No, I was my favorite video that you put out was you explaining climate change or more specifically, do you have a moment to talk about your video that you did on the Paris Climate Accord? And yeah, what I, have, I have to wrap up, guys. I have. Okay. Um, All right. Let, let no me tell problem. you. Let, let me tell but, but I've enjoyed this. So here's the deal. Remember I told you when you constrain freedom, you don't get truth. When you constrain truth, you don't, you get a fake problem, fake solution. So the Paris Accords is an example of that. First of all, um, instead of addressing the big issue, which is pollution, right? Dirty wow. air, dirty water, dirty food. They created this fiction called quote unquote climate change. And I put it in double quotes to say this climate always changes. Okay. Um, yes, CO2 is a greenhouse gas. Yes, greenhouse gases can increase temperature. Yes, okay? It's all true. No one disagrees with this. The issue is how much, okay? And the other issue is climate has always been changing. We ended a, a ice age about 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and it's in a, we're going to have a thawing. The temperature is going to go out by about a degree. No one disagrees with this. The issue is, is CO2 a pollutant? And this is where the lies have been made up. Okay, first of all, um, uh, the 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 climate is a very complex system. Um, it is such a complex system that it's made up of very simply two fluids. One fluid is called the atmosphere, and the other fluid is called the oceans, and they interact. And that interaction involves very complex equations, which I'm not going to get into here. But it is not. There's no field called climate science. The field is actually fluid mechanics and radiative physics. They created a bogus field called climate science, okay? And every Tom, Dick, and Harry suddenly is a climate scientist. But the reality is that climate changes, and um, the issue has been uh, how much does CO2 affect that? Well, the reality is we don't really know, okay? And CO2 is not a pollutant. What happens when CO2 goes below about 200 parts per billion or million? I forget the, the units. But all life on Earth dies, okay? Yeah. All right? Yeah. So you need CO2, okay? And it's gone by 10 times that before. And, and, and if you look at the reason we all flourish as human beings is when CO2 levels went up, okay? So A, CO2 is not a pollutant. Just like the vaccine guys have reduced the entire immune system to one variable antibodies, the lying climate bullshit scientists have reduced everything to CO2. Okay, it's a lie. The real issue is we want to lower pollution, right? Right. What does the Paris Accords do? The Paris Accords actually allows China, which today pollutes 11 billion metric tons of carbon, to go up to 22 billion. It allows India to go from two to four billion. Is that, and what, and what are we talking about? More lead, more sulfur dioxide in the air. That's a, pollute, that's a pollutant, okay? More dust particles. That causes cloud nucleation, okay? So instead of addressing that issue, they allowed the Paris Accords to take place they want these countries to pollute. Why? Because in 2030, they're going to have to buy carbon credits, and there's a limited number of carbon credits to offset their pollution. 
and carbon credits are traded on the equity on the stock market. They're going to skyrocket in price. And there's a few guys who are going to become trillionaires off that. So this issue has nothing to do with your health or my health or saving the environment. It has to tell people, you know, a bunch of people got together and all these big, all the celebrities, you know, all banged each other wherever in France, right? <laughs> told, what? Told everyone to, you know, all the Paris Accords are great, attended their freaking parties, got plastered, right? And then China gets to pollute, go from 11 billion to 22 billion. What, do you, what the hell are you talking about? So my video basically says at the end of the day, what's going to happen is all of us working people, we're going to have to pay more taxes because all those companies who have to now buy carbon credits are going to increase the price of everything. And a, a small set of people are going to become trillionaires. Okay. If you want to address the real issue, let's lower pollution. And you know who loves climate change nonsense? Monsanto. Go to their website. They're the ones who dirty the air. They dirty the water. They dirty the food. Okay, and they're all pro vaccines for everyone. Monsanto Bayer, front page. We're for climate change. Okay, Bill Gates, climate change. Well, he has equity in Monsanto. So people need to wake the hell up and realize that this whole thing is not about ever solving the real problem. They manipulate people. They have the liberal elite manipulating them. They have the nonprofits and all these people who make. There's a whole industry making money off our exploitation be it vaccines, be it autism, be it AIDS, be it cancer, all of it. There's a whole set of people who, who bought their townhouses and beautiful you know, apartments on uh, Park Avenue. It's almost like uh, a health, um, you know, big pharmaceutical. Why cure a disease when you can have a, uh, a patient for life? So might as well keep them alive and have them keep buying stuff. And, and, and an activist for life. Yeah, and the same thing is with this uh, CO2. It's like don't cure it, just keep taxing them on the credits and stuff like that. Man. Right, so that's why, that's why I find it interesting some of these very stupid people who are saying, yes, I'm against vaccines, but they vote for Hillary, but they endorse Hillary Clinton. And they're doing stupid things with climate change with Jane Fonda, okay? Yeah, getting so arrested, you know? Yeah. They're not doing anything. They're just building their own brands. Yeah, I agree, dude. He is Dr. Shiva Ayadore. He's running for the U.S. Senate. You can find all of his information. And if you want to learn more and super support him, man, because I believe he's a superhero. This is some Marvel well, comic stuff. Thing, you know, the typical politician asks for money. When I ask for money, I give you something. If you give me 25 bucks for our campaign and I'm, here's our business model for our campaign. We need two million dollars to win. You know, Joe Kennedy and Ed Malarkey will raise 40 million. But every time someone gives me money, I give them a book. I give them uh, tools on how to understand their body as a system and a bumper sticker. OK, because I never felt right ever taking anything for nothing. So politicians just take your money and more and more. I actually give you education. So everyone out there should support our campaign, learn or volunteer for us because winning in Massachusetts, I'm telling you guys, is going to be a revolution. A kid who came from India with nothing, a working class kid who's one of you winning is that's what you should be supporting right now because we need to win this battle for freedom and truth and health. And it's about time people realize that you actually have one of you fighting for you. And I'm only going to do one term. And after, and my goal is to have 10,000 other people ready to run after me. Okay? Yeah. It's to create an army. I'm in. That's dude. how. I'm in, doctor. Yeah, everyone should be running for office listening on this mission 
of getting rid of all of these guys. They're all scumbags. <laughs> they are. Man, I hope our listeners, we call them the swarm doctor and because they show up in bunches. And I hope uh, they'll all go to Shiva. That's S-H-I-V-A for Senate.com and make a donation and help out because everything he's talking about is what we've been talking about on this show for the last three years. He's... He's the smart guy. I mean, like, dude, what an amazing show, and I'm going to let him go, where a guy who flunked first grade can have a wonderful conversation with a man that went 47 degrees from MIT, and we could all agree on the same thing. And, brother, you are – I'm dead serious when I say you're doing the Lord's work, and you're a superhero, and uh, I will support you in any way I can. And I'm as soon as this is done, hey, I'm going to go – out there. Yeah, to, to me, it's not even a donation. You give me something, I'm going to give you something. It's not I'm going to wait to Barter. win the Senate election. People need to understand. Uh, Michelle, do we have that book here, System and Revolution? I wonder if I copy these here. I don't, I don't have it here, but there's a book I wrote. It's like a manifesto, and it says, what is a system, how your body is a system, how everything is a system, and what is revolution? It's like the handbook, okay? And then I, I created a tool called Your Body, Your System. You can actually apply those principles to understand how your body is. You can go to yourbodyyoursystem.com. I'm giving that to you, okay? So I'm giving that because um, this this is about me giving right now, not to one day I get elected, then I solve a problem. Our election is a part of winning as we move forward, you know? And every person who gets that, that everything's interconnected, uh, be it your immune system, be it the climate, is already won. So that's what we need to do. We need to create an army. Hey, man, the swarm's going to show up. They always do. Uh, I I don't know. I've never met you personally, but I can tell you, sir, that I have nothing but love for you and everything you're doing. And uh, Tinfoil Hat, as crazy as that name is, the the swarm is in your corner, and we're going to do whatever we can to help get your word out. Uh, Doctor, we appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the show. And down the road, if you need more help or to get anything out, my show is always open to you coming on anytime, all the time, whenever you want. I appreciate you, doctor. And we will talk to you soon. Guys, go support him if you can. I mean, dude, he's saying what we've we all been saying. He, we want to support him, and for your support, he's going to hook you up with something that could change your life. I appreciate you all. This has been a great show. We'll see you guys oh, in Texas you. and Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Take care, everybody. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron.